Pray with me. Gracious and loving God, we pray this morning that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth might be pleasing to you, and that through them, as with our entire service, you might speak a word to us this morning, a word that might sink in and change us or inspire us to change. Open us this morning to what you have to say, to a word of grace. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, so this morning we find ourselves in the last Sunday in our sermon series, uh, Disciples, or Community, and Friends, kind of talking about the the series, the sitcom series, Friends, and the ways in which um, that kind of gave us a glimpse into uh, what community and friendship might look like in the late 90s, and um, and we've traveled some ways together. Last week we got to hear from our bishop um, just about moving forward with a sense of um, whether or not this time we're in is a, a, season, a blizzard or a, a season or if it's going to change the scope of how we live and how it's going to probably be a little bit of all of those things. But throughout this series on friends, we, we've been focusing on how do we create space for the other. In fact, that's how we began our series, talking about making space for someone else because that's what friendship does. And it's this give and take balance in this relationship. Then we moved on to talking about how conflict happens and how that's not a, a bad thing that ought to be avoided, but in fact something that we can you know, celebrate amidst our communities, that we can make it through conflict and find ourselves reconciling to one another as a, as a good and healthy thing. And, and then we talked about the power of eating together, although we haven't been able to do so with our friends recently. Um, and then we moved on to Mother's Day, and we talked about how we need more cheerleaders in our life, people that are just going to uh, celebrate our celebrations, the things that are, are good about us, and, you know, not criticize us and bring us down, but think on these things, as the Apostle Paul talks about, the good things, the things that uplift one another and help us go beyond what we expect of ourselves in uh, meaningful ways. And then again, we heard from the bishop, and then now we find ourselves on this uh, last series before, last Sunday, before we go to Pentecost next week, and uh, Pentecost is the church celebration when we celebrate the birth of the church. Um, and this Sunday, we're going to be talking about making space for diversity. And there's probably no better scripture about speaking about diversity and how we make space for that than the Ethiopian eunuch story from the gospel, or from the book of Acts. Um, And one of the things before we begin is just to lay out that I believe it's not our similarities that God uses to change us. It's our differences. The things that make us particularly unique are the ways in which God both changes us and reveals the beauty of God's image to the world. See, because when God created all of us, God breathed in us the breath of life. And then in the, one of the creation stories, it talks about how God created all the things and God rested, and then God came to humanity. And God created us in relationship. In fact, it says God created Adam in God's image, or created Adam and Eve in God's image, it says. But they're not in God's image until they're in relationship together. And some have read this in all sorts of ways, and I believe that what it really means is that the essential component to what it means to be human and to reflect God's image is to be in relationship with others. And so what that means is that we reveal God to the world. 
that each one of us are given this peace. And, and you can use all sorts of analogies to talk about that, but one of my favorite is uh, if we were having a children's moment here this morning, perhaps I would have a puzzle just all ready for all of the kids to take a puzzle piece and to go on their way. And I would tell them as they took their little puzzle piece, I would say, you are this piece of the puzzle. And you have an important piece because without your piece, the image is not full or complete. Because that's what I believe about God is that God reveals God's self through us in very particular ways, through the beauty of that specific piece that is you and makes you unique. It's a central component to how I believe we ought to live as Christians is to live with this openness that celebrates difference because it's the difference of others that I believe reveals God's image more fully and also moves us to change. I mean, the sitcom series Friends is probably, you know, fairly accurately critiqued for not displaying diversity all that well. It's a group of all-white, primarily heterosexual friends that are uh, in New York City and all have a level of affluence that doesn't really break out of a certain social demographic. And, and as accurate as I think that critique can be, I do think that there's some value, though, in the nuanced ways in which the differences of those people reveal how we are all different and play a role in community. I mean, I think that if you fast-forwarded that sitcom series from the late 90s to, you know, now, I would hope that there would be much more diversity across the spectrum. But even in its day, it did have a little bit because it had uh, Ross, who was then uh, married to uh, his wife, and his wife then ended that relationship and uh, joined a lesbian relationship, and they managed the difficulty of having a a child amidst some of that. And at the time, that was a very progressive thing to be having on the TV. Um, But it had its limits. But the beauty about it is that when you talk to people who love the sitcom series Friends, one of the things that they often will ask after you tell them that you like that show is, who are you in the stories? Are you Monica? This type A personality likes to have all of the the kitchen utensils in the right spot and even the stuff in the cupboard perfectly alphabetically organized? Are you uh, like Ross, you know, the sort of scientific kind of like at times, you know, overly analytical and uh, intellectual? Are you kind of the out there, you know, floating around and just enjoying the peace and the breeze like Phoebe, who often is considered, uh, I don't know, flaky, but then has this like deep sense of spirituality? I mean, all of the characters in their own way had something that reveals something different about what it means to be human. And I think that one of our tendencies in this human experience is to see those that are different from us and do one of two things. Either we try to make them like us because we are the right image, right? Or we try to keep them at arm's length because they are other than us. I know that this is certainly something that Christians are critiqued for on a regular basis. I mean, take, for example, the story of the eunuch, Uh, As I was reading various commentaries about how we might discern this, one of the commentaries was how this story is the quintessential evangelical story of where someone who is on the outside, 
who an Ethiopian eunuch would be for the Jewish culture. He would be considered as other as you can imagine, especially the fact that he was a eunuch. The eunuchs uh, were men that were either castrated or unable to have, um, to procreate. You know, it's a very vague term and, and can mean all sorts of different things. And, and it's really hard uh, historically to lock down exactly what that meant. But what we did know is that there was no way that an Ethiopian eunuch could have been fully embraced within the context of the religious life of Jerusalem. At best, he would have been considered a God-fear, which was a, a someone who was a Gentile and not born a Jew who converted into Judaism and began to shape his life in such a way that it would follow the Jewish Torah or the, the rules and regulations of the time, and that would allow him uh, to come into sort of a place around the temple, because the temple where the Holy of Holies, where God's presence would sit in ancient Jerusalem, uh, was kind of like this outer castle, where the, the further you made your way in was the further, uh, like, holy that you were able to be kind of close to that holy of holies. And, and in the end, only that one priest was able to go in at certain times of the year into the chamber uh, where God's presence would dwell um, within the ark. And so the God-fears would be on the outskirts of that. Being able to participate in small ways, but reminded of the fact that they were on the outside. And that, and that was a, a best-case scenario. And, and one of the interpretations of, of this story is how uh, Philip proclaims the gospel to the Ethiopian, and the Ethiopian becomes part of the Christian understanding and Christian identity, that Philip passes on the knowledge that he has to him and tells him how to read the scriptures. And I think that that's a fair interpretation, but I think that it succumbs to what I view as a potentially problematic way to read this story which is that the purpose of Christians is to go out and evangelize and make the other understand and be like you. And we've seen this in a variety of contexts. We see this with people that stand on the street corner and they tell others how they're going to go to hell unless they do X, Y, and Z, and X, Y, and Z happens to be just like them, right? You know, we Methodists may not stand on the street corner, but if you show up into our sanctuary when we're gathering in person and you're saying amen and your hands are up in the air and you're jumping around, you may or may not feel comfortable <laughs> in that moment because you know that Methodists are by and large stereotypically seen as a kind of more modest in our worship style as we gather together. And that's not saying that you are not welcome here if that's how you plan to worship with us when we gather. I, in fact, welcome you because I understand the importance of being different and having different ways to worship, to live, and to think and believe within the same context. Christians throughout the world have been uh, critiqued for this sense of kind of making the other like them. Through the, the kind of movement of colonialism, that's one of the challenges that Christians have yet to live with is how is it that we save room for those who, when we went out and colonized throughout the 17th and 18th and even beyond centuries, and created a space for their understanding of Christ to be unique, that they didn't just have to believe and act and worship in the ways that we do, but they had an opportunity to proclaim the good news and to believe and embody the good news in unique ways. Super fancy theological word for that is post-colonial theology. 
how people from different areas and colonized areas of the world have taken on their Christian understanding and made it their own in unique ways. And I think, rather than being a reinforcement of what evangelism ought to look like, tell someone what to believe and then they believe like you. Or the other side is to kind of disregard them and keep them on the outer edge of the castle so that they're not able to come in because they're just different. That this particular story within the book of Acts proclaims something deeper for us. If you know the story of Acts, you know that Acts was written by the same writer that wrote the Gospel of Luke. And this morning is uh, kind of liturgically, which is the church calendar, the Ascension Sunday, which is the, the Sunday when Jesus departs and leaves the disciples and all of his followers to take on the work of being his presence in the world. And, and one of the depictions of that and, and sort of the last words that Jesus has to his disciples and all of his followers is that they will preach the good news in Judea and Samaria and all the world. And this morning's scripture is, in fact, the embodiment of that. They have this Pentecost moment at the beginning of Acts, and the Pentecost moment is just the power of the Holy Spirit within all of these people in a variety of ways, and that they're able to preach good news and go out and proclaim. And then we have some of the stories around Judea and Jerusalem area, and then some of the disciples go out into Samaria. In fact, that's just where Philip had come back from. That Philip was in Samaria proclaiming the good news and that he at one point found himself threatened and then ended up, God told him to come down by the south road. And then there he finds this Ethiopian eunuch, who, by the way, wasn't just some random person along the road. This was someone that had sort of a brigade with him. He was riding in a chariot, reading a scroll. If you know anything about ancient antiquity, scrolls were a super valuable commodity. And so to be riding in a chariot and reading a scroll kind of tells you a level of like walking up to someone with like a Lamborghini or a Bentley, right? And then just start up a conversation. And Philip, like all the disciples, wasn't necessarily what you would say part of the aristocracy at the time. In fact, he was probably just his shirt on his back and all rugged and torn up because he was fighting through the crowds trying to get out of the area that he had found himself in. And there he was showing up to this Ethiopian well-to-do. And in that space and in that context, they enter into this dialogue together. Now, I happen to think that there was probably some two-way communication of trust going on here. On the one hand, the Ethiopian was uh, thirsty to learn more about this Jesus, to understand what it means to be part of God's good news message in all the world. I mean, he had uh, been part of this uh, Jewish heritage, at least to some extent, because he came back from Jerusalem, and so he was potentially excited about that and so he was op- but he was also aware of the fact that he wasn't fully included because he was both Ethiopian and a eunuch. A eunuch would have put him in this sort of gray space. Ancient Jerusalem loved to think binary, male, female, Gentile, Jew, Torah, not, holy, unclean. 
And that's not saying anything necessarily wrong with trying to frame our worldview within right and wrong, but here comes this person who doesn't fit the mold. One might argue he's a a gray experience for them. Not only was he wrong, but he wasn't either of the binary. And that was really uncomfortable in that worldview, to not fit. And certainly something he would have experienced. And so when Philip, this Jew, decides to converse with him, tell him the deeper meaning of the scripture, surely he's taken aback. And at the same time, Philip, this uh, ragtag, you know, Christian follower, probably was taken aback that this Ethiopian of well-to-do allowed him into the chariot. And what's more beautiful, I think, is the end of the story, which is the Ethiopian eunuch's comment. What is to prevent me from being baptized, welcomed into this work of Jesus' death, resurrection, and life to come? What is, what is to prevent me from finding myself in the presence of God? And the appropriate answer in that context would have been uh, everything about you. You would have to change your life in these certain ways to look like me. But that's not what Philip says. Philip says nothing. Nothing is to prevent you from inheriting the good news of Jesus Christ in the world. And he's baptized. This ambiguous, non-binary Ethiopian was baptized. And nothing could prevent him from revealing that image of God, of Christ in the world. See, because sometimes when I start to talk about things that challenge people and sort of an either-or thinking, they don't like it because they use words like relativism or, you know, it's too gray for me, and, and that may be a way to interpret it. But I interpret it as a proclamation of the mosaic, of the beauty of the diverse image of God. That in order to be an inheritant of that image, in order to reveal the goodness of God to the world, you don't have to conform to what others believe you ought to look like, act like, be like, think like. That you're welcome around the table. And I believe this to be a powerful component to what it means to be in community and to be friends with someone else. It's to create that space for the unique particularities of that person, even though they might be uncomfortable for you at times, even though they might be challenging for you at times, to reveal the image of God. And you know what? We're entering into a time when we're going to need that perspective more than ever. 
I sent out a survey on Friday, and in that survey, I asked the congregation or those who saw the email how they feel about coming back. And I promise you, you're going to be confronted by people with a diverse opinion of what it means to be safe going forward. Because you'll have the range of, let's be together now, nothing's to stop us, to, I'm going to wait for a vaccine. And the thing is, is that you don't know why they might find themselves on the other spectrum for this particular issue. They have stories, they have histories, they have past, they have health issues, conditions that they might not feel comfortable sharing at that time. But what we can do is value the other. We're entering into a year when things are going to get politicized more and more and more, and we're entering a time when we're going to say, don't trust this person, don't trust that person. We're already hearing it with the bipartisan politics around even the response of the pandemic crisis. And we're going to be challenged to create space for those that are other. The Methodist Church, we're living in this time period when, you know, we were supposed to be meeting today as a general denomination about deciding how we were going to move forward amidst our, you know, division and opinion about how do we welcome and embrace persons of different sexual orientations and gender identities. And that got put off for another year, but friends, that's coming in 2021 for us as a denomination. There are going to be so many ways in which we're going to be told that we should other the other person and not trust them and make them think like us. How do we as a community make space for the beauty of God's diverse kingdom? so that the beauty of the image of God that is embedded within each and every one of you might be revealed to the world. And that the good news that the Apostle Paul proclaims when he says that we are neither slave nor free nor male nor female, that we are all one in the body of Christ is true for each and every one of us. So find ways in which we can engage in diverse conversations. Find ways in which we can allow someone who is different than us to change us, transform us, help us reveal that beautiful image of God to the world. And so our praise band is going to sing a song called Draw the Circle Wide. Because that's what I believe about God's love, is that God's love is deep and God's love is wide. And we ought not to assume that someone, because they are black, white, male, female, gay, straight, that they need to be like us or be, act like us. But that we need to create the diversity of God's kingdom around the table and celebrate it and say that you are a piece of the mosaic and we need you. I invite you to pray with me. Gracious God, thank you for making us, us. For revealing your image to the world through us in unique ways. Rather than push people away because they're different than us, teach us how to enter into community 
so that together, even though in our differences we might disagree, but together we might reveal the beauty of your mosaic to the world. We might help complete that puzzle of which we are all a bearer of a piece. Let us draw that circle wide. Amen.